And Brother Chuck and I have discussed where to go when we finish. We hope this meets with your approval. If not, please let us know. Uh, it will be of no effect, but it might, if you want to get it off your chest, go ahead. Because <laughs> we've already made up our minds. Uh, we're going to do the Gospel of Luke. Luke's good news. Luke's biography of the Lord Jesus. And what Brother Chuck and I have tried to do over the years is to insert one of the Gospels from time to time so that we could just take a look at the pure, wonderful life of the Lord Jesus. And to our mind, we've not ever done the Gospel of Luke. We've done other Gospels, but not Luke. So that's what we're going to do. And if you care to read ahead, that would be great. Help yourself. It's in the Bible, and you should read it. So we are in Jeremiah 46, and there are, I think, 50-some-odd chapters in Jeremiah. I didn't really look that far. Is that about right? <laughs> and uh, uh, today and next week, we're only going to do chapter 46. So, Brother Chuck, I'm just going to do this, um, and I know what you're thinking. Uh, I know. I tell you what Brother Chuck is saying. Whenever I spend like two weeks on a chapter, Brother Chuck is saying he's stretching it so he doesn't have to study next week. And I just want to tell you that is so accurate. I, I just, no, 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 there's stuff in the chapter. There's stuff. There's good. So, uh, so let me tell you what's happening in chapter 46 to the end. It's a series of what's called judgment speeches chapter 46 to the end judgment speeches it's god through his prophet in this case jeremiah saying prophetically this is how i am going to call to account every nation of the world and every national leader judgment speeches and you have about 10 specific nations nine or ten depending on how you count about nine or ten nations who uh, beginning in chapter 46 to the end are going to be judged by God about ten nations um, it's going to begin with Egypt in chapter 46 and continue with Babylon. And so geographically, the direction of the judgment speeches is roughly moving uh, from west, roughly from west to east. It will encompass about 10 nations, each of which you are familiar with. It's relevant for today because at the time God gave these judgment speeches to Jeremiah, they were future not only from his vantage point, but from ours as well. It's prophecy. And so you're going to get a prophetic look into the future. Now, I don't know dates and all of that stuff, so uh, it's fun to think about it, but I'm not smart enough to know dates by no means. I just know the uh, full brunt of the judgment speeches have yet to take place. They're going to take place. Now, interestingly... Every one of the Old Testament prophets, except Hosea, 
had judgment speeches to pronounce upon one or more of the nations of the world. Everyone but Hosea. Hosea's book, if you're familiar with it, is, is different. But otherwise, every one of the other Old Testament prophets were, was given a word of judgment to pronounce upon another nation or nations of the world. But this is interesting. Except for Jonah, we don't have clear evidence that any other prophet actually went to the nation to pronounce God's judgment upon it. Jonah did. Where did he go? Billy, go ahead. And he didn't even go by choice. Well said. So probably not even. He went kicking and screaming. So he reminds me a lot of you, Billy. And so... uh, Okay, so he went to Nineveh. Remember, Jonah went, hey, let me ask you this. Does anyone know where Jonah's voyage started out from? Name of the place? Joppa. And so that's on the Mediterranean coast of Israel. And uh, has anyone here, did you go with me to Israel at any time, anybody here? Did we go to Joppa? Oh, you got cheated. You got robbed. Yeah, yeah. But, Rachel, we went the last time. In January, we went to Joppa. That was our first stop. And in June, we're going again. And, Lord willing, that's where we'll start from, just where um, Jonah did. So, with the exception of Jonah, we don't have clear evidence. And please correct me if, if you find that I'm wrong about this. I might be. But I'm telling you, I can't see record of any other prophet actually taking God's message of judgment to another nation. They were pronounced against the other nations while in the land, while in the Holy Land, Israel, in earshot of the Israelites. Why? Folks, God's intent is really not to transform the world. It is his intent to judge the world and to replace it with his kingdom of righteousness. Therefore, while in the world, God's primary focus is on you and me and those who are part of his covenant by faith through Jesus the Messiah. Because he wants our attitudes, our posture, our countenance, our lifestyle while in the world to be representative of him. So when the prophets gave judgment speeches, they did it in earshot of Israel. And Israel, God's covenant people, could say, he is sovereign over the nations of the world. There are mighty armies. There are the Babylonians, and there's Nebuchadnezzar. There's Egypt, and there's Pharaoh, Necho, and on and on. We'll read about them. But our God reigns. He remains seated. We sing that song. He remains seated on the throne. And though the nations scheme and make up their plans, he laughs. Because it's his sovereignty that remains undeterred and unchallenged. So God's primary purpose is for us to have the right attitude and perspective of things while we're in this world because we are to be salt and light in it. So the next time you find yourself becoming un, becoming overwhelmed by disgust for the world situation or the national situation, 
No, no, no. I said overwhelmed by disgust. Uh, there is something I think we can call sanctified dissatisfaction. I hope you have it. I hope you have a measure of sanctified dissatisfaction with the way things are. You ought to be. But when um, upset overwhelms you, then you may be losing sight of the fact that your God reigns, that he's on the throne, and that he's going to call one day every nation to task, every leader to task. Your father is big enough to take care of business. Do not let the world situation quench his spirit of joy and peace in you. If you do, you'll be attracted, attractive to no one. You won't have a lifestyle even in the midst of upheaval that people are attracted to. So at the least, when you find yourself moving past sanctified dissatisfaction to just sheer and utter disgust, that's the time to pray. That's the distinctively Christian alternative because he hears the prayers of those who come to him through the bridge, uh, Jesus the Messiah. So that's the time to pray. You hear about Egypt, you hear about Libya, you know about Iran, you know about the situation in Japan, you know about all this. It could just overwhelm you. That's probably because you're not sharing the burden with your father. Just pray about those things. Don't let those things swallow you up and quench his spirit within you. Otherwise, people won't have cause to ask you to give an account for the hope that is in you because they'll see you to be just as hopeless as everybody else so the judgment speeches directed to other nations were uttered while within the boundaries of israel so as to remind israel israel don't you worry your father will take care of you your father will take care of business okay so these are the judgment speeches which we will read about. And there is a standard form to each of the judgment speeches, which you will do well just to keep in mind, four parts to each of the judgment speeches. So they're like a standard format. Uh, the first ingredient in each judgment speech was simply to name the nation singled out for judgment. And as I mentioned, there are nine or ten in this concluding part of Jeremiah, the longest judgment speech being made to Babylon. Babylon. And we know Babylon of old, but even the book of Revelation speaks of Babylon, so there's lots of significance to it. So that's the first ingredient, the name of the nation to be judged. Second, the specific sin or sins uh, for which the nation and its national leader will be judged. So I want to ask you a question. What would you guess to be the most oft-occurring, uh, frequently occurring sin committed by uh, the national leaders uh, of these countries? What would you guess? Sin of idolatry? Yes. No. Pride. It's the sin of pride. You will see in the judgment speeches that is the most 
uh, oft-occurring sin committed by national leaders. So here's the sin of pride. The sin of pride is when a national leader makes promises he or she cannot keep. I know this is entirely irrelevant to the day, but please bear with me. Can you see how relevant? Here's the deal. When national leaders make promises, they they can come from two sources. One is deception, the leader deceiving the population, but the other is deception in the life of the leader. So in one case, the leader is flat out lying to you. In the other case, he's not lying. He actually believes what he's saying he could do. I think that's worse. So, so when you have leaders, for, for instance, in our land, of any political party, uh, coming up, if you watch news reports, it's interesting to see the discussions, on their proposed solutions to the budget deficit. Um, I have to think, I, I rule out uh, intellectual deficiency because they're very intelligent. You know, most are lawyers and they, they're highly educated men and women and all the rest. So I, I got to rule out the IQ problem. That's not it. So then I have two options. One, you're lying to me because that's a bunch of bunk. That's not going to get us, that's not fixing anything. Two, you're not lying to me. You actually believe <laughs> that what you're promising you can do. That's the sin of pride. How can you promise to fix something you done broke and continue to break? How can a group of, I don't see our leaders reducing their pension plans. But you can probably kiss yours goodbye. Now I'm not talking about Social Security. That's you can. That's the that's a government Ponzi scheme, Social Security. You think it's going to Social Security, but if you don't think the government's dipping into Social Security, are you kidding me? So I'm not talking about public retirement. I'm talking about private retirement plans, which you think is yours. I would not hold on to it too tightly, folks. I don't see our leaders reducing their pension plans. I don't see them cutting their salary packages. I don't see them giving up their fees for speaking engagements. I don't see them paying a higher deductible on their health care. How could people who are increasingly distancing themselves from the constituency they say they represent, how could they make promises to the constituency that can't even relate to anymore. When you become a professional politician, you have ceased to be able to relate to the people who got you there. You cannot, you can't. So don't misunderstand, it's not a cynicism. It's a, wow, sin of, look, I'm gonna tell you a rule of thumb. Why should a guy like me believe in the promises of people at higher levels when they couldn't keep those promises when they were at lower levels? This is just common, use a little common sense. So if you have a politician serving at a lower level of responsibility who didn't go 
great gangbusters in revolutionizing the problems of the day didn't do much. <laughs> and then that person gets promoted to a higher office. Why should I believe his promises to renovate society on that higher level when, when he was at a lower level of responsibility he didn't do so hot? Look at here. You have a church staff. Why would you want to promote a church staff member operating at a lower level of responsibility to an even higher level of responsibility when at the lower level of responsibility they didn't do so hot? It's just common sense to me. So I'm not trying to be cynical. <laughs> I just don't want to be unrealistic. Um, so I think what we have, this uh, is just meant to encourage you and brighten your day, is a system uh, that is broken beyond repair. It's just one man's accurate opinion. <laughs> I, I, all, I'm just, it's just, it doesn't disappoint me because it's exactly what we were told is going, it's, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a devolution, it's a downward spiral. You read it in Timothy, uh, people, yeah, getting worse and worse. That's what, so this is not, so, it, so when it is, it's just simply inconsistent uh, with the Bible. So, but here's the point. God announced to ancient Israel, and by extension you see to us, because this is yet future, don't worry, for I who sit on the throne am omniscient. I know everything about everything. And I will call to task all those who in their pride have operated as if they could do so apart from me. They promised you this and that. and They promised you all the things they cannot deliver, but only I can. They promised you safety and security and provision and well-being and uh, uh, the pursuit of happiness and all this stuff. They've even inscribed it in a constitution, but they cannot deliver the goods apart from me. And the evidence is in your experience every day. But don't you worry. I see, I will call every national leader to give account one day and answer to me and be judged for the sin of pride. A token national day of prayer uttered to every false deity in the world is not going to cut the mustard. That is not a nation repenting of its sins and turning to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is just religion. That ain't going to get it. So God issues judgment speeches through his people to his people with regard to other people so that his people could be encouraged and just know, don't worry, Father is on the throne. Charlie? Talking about Wisconsin situation, is that what you mean? Oh, 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 oh! I I got you. Throw the bums out. Okay. Yeah, there you go. All right. 
<laughs> there you have it. I mean, here's the beauty of our brother Charles. You just don't ever have to guess what he's thinking. I mean, it is in your face. There. <laughs> that is good. By the way, we love the mafia outfit today. That is, man. The Don. That's the Don. Yes, brother. This is a very excellent point. Brother Delvin says uh, he can't understand why we are gullible enough to continue to reelect folks whose uh, records have, have should render them <laughs> non-electable. It's a very interesting, interesting phenomenon. Uh, so you can't only blame uh, leaders. You, you have to think about, just as Brother Delvin so well said, <laughs> we're sort of getting who we deserve, I guess. We, 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 vote, we, vote, we vote these. I don't know, I guess we just, you know, we're getting to a point, I think, where we're so hopeless that anyone who sounds good, looks good, is at least going to be a better alternative than what, what we've had. But what we're on the verge of doing uh, is, is replacing very ineffective leaders with more dangerous leaders. For instance, in Egypt, Hosni Mubarak, after 30 years of dictatorial rule, has been replaced. But I want to ask you, here's a little current events quiz. Please tell me who the leader of Egypt is right now in his place. The military, Don is right. Now, do you feel comfortable about um, uh, the Egyptian military running that very key country in the Middle East? So, what am I, I mean, the void. <laughs> you see, people are so disgusted. I sympathize with the Egyptian people. Don't misunderstand uh, this terrible dictator, you know, getting rich uh, off the backs of his people is gone. And now you take almost anyone, uh, and they will. Uh, historically, whenever someone like Mubarak has been replaced, he's been replaced by a more extreme. You know, in the Middle East, you had uh, the uh, you had Yasser Arafat, head of the Palestinian Authority, and he passed on. And you think, okay, wow, now we can do better. Yeah, but now you have Hamas. <laughs> Hamas is the government of the Palestinian people, duly appointed. Government voted in. Pa By the way, Hamas is on our list of terror groups, and yet our country expects Israel to negotiate peace with a group we put on our list of terror groups. Would we do that? Nuts. Absolutely. So, so, so I don't know. The, it, it's not just the leaders. It's the people who get them there as, as well. Our capacity to be deceived is really, really great, I guess is the... Okay, so, so the first element in the judgment speech, the name of the country to be judged. The second element, the sin for which they will be judged, most frequently pride. The third element is uh, the pronouncement of punishment on the nation. And in almost every case of the nine or ten judgment speeches, it is your God using one nation in a battle, a war, against the other nation to be judged. So God has the capacity, this is how great he is, to use the nations of the world to punish each other. 
Uh, most often, it's Babylon who God uses to bring judgment upon the other nations. And then ultimately, Babylon is judged. But he has the capacity, uh, God, to use one nation as a vehicle of his judgment with reference to another. For instance, remember years ago, this terrible warfare between Iran and Iraq. Oh, my heavens. It was, you know, they have a shared border. And uh, thousands and thousands uh, of their respective military members were killed. I didn't say that's a good thing. I'm just telling you it's interesting that both Iran and Iraq now capture our energies and interests. We have troops in at least one of those countries, and the other, Iran, is surely on the minds uh, of our leaders because they're led by a, talk about the sin of, of pride, a leader, Ahmadinejad, who's, uh, who's uh, insanely filled with himself. And so it's interesting how, how God could use those two nations if he chose to against one another. I mentioned to you uh, Israel's situation. Hamas is the duly appointed government of the Palestinian people, but not all, because some didn't want them. And so they have a man named Mahmoud Abbas, uh, who also was one of the Palestinian leaders. So you basically have two governments, essentially. And so you have Hamas in a place called the Gaza Strip. You hear about Gaza all the time, Hamas. But in the West Bank is Mahmoud Abbas. And Hamas hates Abbas. And Abbas hates Hamas. Look how they run. Isn't that kind of... It's a nice little ditty for you to take home <laughs> with you. So, so here's the deal. Uh, I'm not saying that's an entirely good thing, but at least now their intentions to drive Israel into the sea are somewhat uh, compromised because they have to deal with one another. This is just in a small way an indication of how God, who is sovereign, it's not the United Nations. I don't want to disappoint you, but it's not the United Nations we ought to be very hopeful about. Are you joking me? It surely is not the uh, European Confederation of States. Are you kidding me? It surely isn't so-called free Russia. Are you kidding me? Um, and increasingly, it's not our government. It is sovereign God who calls the shots. And it could orchestrate events so as to usher in his plan to judge the nations of the world and to bring forth a redeemed nation of Jews and Gentiles and black people and white people and old people and young people and male people and female people and poor people and rich people, go on and on and on, who are citizens of a kingdom over which the king of kings rules. He judges the world, and he brings forth others out of the world. You see, that's kind of what's, what's going on. So the reason for the judgment speech is given to Israel in Israel's earshot. is the same reason they're given to us. Relax. Don't go crazy. Sanctified dissatisfaction? You bet. Protest? Absolutely. Vote intelligently? Sure. I'm not saying do any. Pray? Absolutely. 
Just don't be so overcome with pessimism, depression, despair, and cynicism that there's, there's no evidence of hope in you. Don't do that because the God of hope is going to take care of business. Okay, so first element, name of the nation to be judged. Second element, the sin committed. Third element, the judgment pronounced upon a nation. And the fourth and final element, which you will see in the judgment speech, is the most unpredictable, unanticipated, surprising element of all. It is a message of hope even in the midst of judgment, for four specific named nations, four specific. The first one is mentioned at the end of chapter 46, which Lord willing will actually get to maybe next week. It's Egypt. Fascinating. Egypt in turmoil today. And by the way, in the midst of the turmoil, fellow Christians are being persecuted in Egypt more than ever before. Under Mubarak, at least, he did something about the persecution because pressure was put upon him. Now there's a void. So now it's open season by Muslims against Christians. In Egypt, they're called Coptic Christians. Coptics, C-O-P-T-I-C-S. You can Wikipedia it. Uh, if you'd like. Google search uh, Coptic and you'll get a history. Essentially, they're Christians as we are with some departures along the way, which you can look, theological departures. But that's not the point. From a Muslim point of view, everyone who does not swear allegiance to Allah and the great prophet Muhammad is an infidel who needs to be converted or killed. That's the religion of peace. It ain't no, come on. Those are the options. You convert or you die. That is it. And so, so the Coptic Christians in Egypt are under more severe persecution than ever before. We have a couple, a wonderful Egyptian couple. Brother Chuck, I can't remember if they're in this class or the next one. After a while, they all look the same, don't they? No, they're, they're, they're a wonderful Egyptian couple, and they're Coptic Christians, and they have relatives there, and they, they tell stories and beseech us to pray for, for the Christians in the land. But anyway, the point is, Egypt is, become, has, is a Muslim country and becoming increasingly, you'll see, more extremely Muslim as the days go on. But you'll see in chapter 46, and then I'll refer you to Isaiah 19, you'll see, yet, though God will judge Egypt, he gives a surprising message of hope to Egypt and then in chapter 48, a country called Moab, Moab in present-day Jordan. And then a third country, chapter 49, Ammon. Egypt, Ammon is also in present-day Jordan. Egypt, Jordan, and then the fourth country mentioned in chapter 49, Elam, Elam. Would anyone like to venture a guess as to what uh, the... Uh, Empire, Elamite Empire. Do you know what Middle Eastern country that sort of takes in? Modern day country? Tom? Tom is correct. Iran. Tom is correct. Iran. That's what you said, didn't you? Okay, brother, you got it right. Uh, Elamites, uh, Iran. So God has a surprising message of hope for Egypt, for Jordan, 
and for modern-day Iran. By the way, do you know that the Iranians are not Arabs? They are Persians. For instance, our wonderful lady Jaleh, who's from Iran, speaks Farsi. That's the language, the ancient language of Persian people. What the Iranians have in common with other Arab nations is the religion of Islam. Islam is the predominant, not the sole religion in Iran. They also have something called Zoroastrianism, but primarily it's Islam. So, so Arabs and Persians are united by Islam, but they are culturally in a totally different line of descent. So, so God has a surprising message of hope, you'll see, for Egypt, for Jordan, for Iran, and you'll see at the end of chapter 46, his continuing message of hope, deliverance, redemption, and covenant blessing for what nation? For Israel. Be ye careful if you think because Israel has turned her back on her Messiah, which she has, that her Messiah has irreversibly turned his back on her. No. And that applies to us. You walk away from obedience to the Lord from time to time. Do you think he turned from you? No. And the New Testament tells us, though we be unfaithful, he remains faithful. And you want evidence of it? I'll give it to you in one word. Israel. Though she be unfaithful, he remains faithful. That's why you, a Christian, could have assurance of your deliverance. So if you think God has turned his back on Israel, then I say to you, then get ready for him to turn his back on you because you ain't so hot either. Can you see how? So you're going to see here at the end of chapter 46 a little more specifically what we just spoke about. I think Tom had his hand up. Yes, sir. Well said. Uh, and uh, Tom says there's another nation, Assyria, and he is absolutely correct. It is um, delineated that way in Isaiah 19, and Lord willing, that's what we'll look at next week. Isaiah 19. Yes, Charlie. Yeah. Not so hot. Yeah. Benjamin Netanyahu, yeah. He, he'd have your vote. There you go. He is a, he is a good leader, strong leader. Uh, any parting shots, folks, before we take leave of one another? So uh, just, just a closing word. Um, as unsettling and bad as things are n now uh, it, on many fronts, it's going to get much worse. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> it has to. Because we prideful humans have to be brought to the point by a loving God where we realize, I can't do it. I can't fix it. I'm not able. I am weak. Oh, God. Rule and reign over me. See, he has to prove to us 
we're not very good masters of our own destiny. We have an overestimation of our ability. You know, if I hear one more time, you can do anything you set your mind on. No, you can't. Excuse me for a second. I want to set my mind on becoming an NBA basketball player. <laughs> Stop, you're interrupting my thought. I'm setting... Come on. How about this one? Believe in yourself. Are you joking me? You are a creep. Have you discovered the creep in you? Isaiah 64, 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. That's who you are. Enjoy the mirror of Scripture. What is that designed to do? You die to self and be alive to the most high and perfect God who can fill you with his spirit and make you to be more like him day by day. You believe in him. You don't believe in you. You are a creep. And those are true words spoken by a fellow creep. It's very creepy in here. <laughs> Lord Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for saving us from self and sin. Satan. Thank you for coming again. Thank you for bringing us to be with you. Thank you for your vantage point, most high God, seated on the throne from which you see all things. Thank you that there is victory in Jesus. We taste it now. We'll be absolutely satisfied by your ultimate victory one day. Oh, God, thank you for enabling us to believe through us. Would you enable others to believe as they see our lives of hope and peace, cheerfulness, love, a representation of you, God of hope, God of grace, God of forgiveness, Savior of all who will believe. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you folks. We'll see you in chapter 46 next week. <laughs>